Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, right? Sing my soul more than it has ever sung before. It is good to see you again this morning. I, my name is Preben Wang. I'm the pastor here during the interim period. And it really is good to be back. I spent part of the week up in the cold north. Um, no, it wasn't that cold. It wasn't that north. <laughs> it just felt like it compared to being back here and praising God in this magnificent way. It surely is good to see you. Maybe may I spend just a minute or two uh, just talking to you for a second before uh, we begin the sermon. I want to encourage you um, to be here on Sunday nights. Tonight, I'm going to speak uh, from Joshua on we have not come this way before. I think God is going to do mighty things in our midst, and we're looking forward to that. And as time progressive, uh, progresses in just a short while, we'll begin a series on Sunday nights that's simply called Telling God's Story. We're going to connect Genesis to Revelation and tell it as a storyline the whole way through from the beginning to the end. I think most of us know the Bible as tidbits of stories in some kind of sequence. And we have not seen the grand narrative of what God is about. Because of that, we get our worldview screwed up. We get things kind of out of place. And some people know that if you just don't lie, steal, cheat, or come home at late at night, you're probably a good Christian, right? That's kind of what we get out of some of that because we do. One day we do John 3, and next day we do Samuel 4, and next day we do Timothy, and next day we do, you know, King. So something like that, yes? So I hope you plan already now to make Sunday evenings just a short hour from 6 to 7 part of your normal Sunday schedule. And, and we also need just a time and a place to talk and to pray in a different way that we can do it for a Sunday morning worship service. Are we good on that? I'll see you all tonight. That wasn't a joke, actually. <laughs> I'll see y'all tonight. You know, people who read the Bible, they know that God has a special vision for his creation. A vision in which the church plays a very central role. God created all that there is, including, including humankind, for the purpose of living in his presence. That's why we were created. We decided to kind of take things in our own hand. We don't need that. We can handle it ourselves. But God never lost his vision for that. And although we rebelled and we were shunned from his presence, he still wanted that. And for that purpose, he created a people to be a light unto the nations. He made that possible through the death of his son on the cross. We celebrated that last weekend. And the power of his resurrection, he created a people that is God's people. 
a community in which we need to be citizens. That's what we pledge allegiance to, to God and his kingdom. And I'll come back to that. You know, God is doing amazing things around the globe. Anyone who has access to media that tracks what God is doing around the globe will know that. Everyone who, who is kind of keeping up with statistics of how the Christian faith is spreading, you will know that we're growing with rapid fire. It may not look like that everywhere you look, but if you look globally, that is the case. In 1884, right here, in this place, a group of people came together and said, we want to be a part of God's vision right here in Nacogdoches. And it became the first Baptist church of Nacogdoches. A group of folks coming together say, we want to be part of what God is doing. We want to be a light unto the people right here and in these parts and this region and from here throughout the world. So they joined up with Christians throughout the centuries. And some of you are horrified, not by the cute stories we hear and the strong kind of heartwarming stories, but what you sometimes see that being a part of the Christian community costs. We see on television and some are put up in a line and in front of television cameras are decapitated simply because they say Jesus is Lord. Others have a bomb just explode in their midst when they gather for Easter worship service. You heard about that last week, yes? Others have their villages burned down, their wives taken away and raped, their kids sold as slaves, all because of the name of Christ. And you think, has God not changing his vision? And the answer is no. He's going to bring all of humanity, all of, all of creation back to him. And he's going to use the church as his community in a special way in that process. It may not always be easy, but it's always important. It may not always be painless, but it will always be significant. A community shaped by Christ. What does that even look like? God joined the vision of those who began this church back in 1884 with the vision of what God has been about ever since the beginning. And so the calling is high, the calling is mighty. To become and to be a community characterized by Christ. What does that mean to be a citizen of community like that? We pledge as Christians allegiance to the gospel and to the one who gives this gospel, its content, the one we call our Lord, Jesus Christ. 
question is, friends, we know what earlier generations left, coming generations. Question is, what will we leave? The generations that follow us. I've often asked myself this question. What if the 12 disciples Jesus called had all had a commitment like me? Would Christianity have died out with them? And I don't take that to be a rhetorical question even for myself. I think that's a very real question that should wake us up and keep us praying all the time. We have received a powerful and rich inheritance. Earlier generations paid great, great sacrifices to make sure that this gospel of Jesus Christ was delivered faithfully to those who followed after them. You know, when you start thinking about it, and it's hard not to at times, these people who paid with their lives, early Christians and really Christians throughout the centuries that have had significant impact, they paid with their lives for later generations to be able to follow and know the same Lord. They didn't do so because they felt it was good to come together and, and feel their hearts warmed by the right kinds of songs that they liked or the right kind of atmosphere that they appreciated. They did so because they have found the truth. And they were convinced that it was a matter of life and death in the ultimate sense of those terms that they brought that in such a way and shared that in such a way with the people around them and with their children and with following generations that this would be a fulfillment of the very vision that God had given them. If you would find in your Bible chapter 4 of Luke, we will all spend just another second or two and then we'll read chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke. If you get to John, you're too far. If you're still in Mark, you can go a little further. These early Christians and those who followed who have had impact of any true significant kind were building a new community. I want you to hear this. A new community, to a large extent an alternative community, with new rules, new guidelines, and indeed a brand new spirit. A community where faith and hope and love were cornerstones. A community where grace and forgiveness became guiding principles. It's a place where the recognition of Jesus' lordship was an unchangeable cornerstone 
in the very constitution of that people. In our generation, we have become accustomed to church, have we not? We often think about church as a location. It's right over there. It's on that corner or it's down that street. It's a place where we meet and we sing great songs and we hear motivational sermons and we feel good about ourselves. Too often it's about location rather than community. It's about a place to attend rather than a place to belong. It's a place of activity, maybe more than it is a place of family gathering. You see, if we take this whole language of family serious, you don't ever attend your family, right? You belong to your family. And this is what this text is about to a large extent, about being aware of our citizenship, about walking, of living out the kind of relationship that that gives, inspired by Christ to become what he envisions not inspired by culture, not inspired by habits, not inspired by what we used to do, but by Christ. Jesus comes to Nazareth. Verse 14 of chapter 4. He returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, And everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll uh, of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious word that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. He continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that, I were, <clears throat> that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there were severe famine throughout the land. Yet 
Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Sarepta in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The real question here, friends, were these people citizens of God's kingdom or citizens of Comfortville? Jesus is coming to town. Worshippers had heard what he had done in the cities around them. And now Jesus is stepping into their synagogue, even the very synagogue where they had known him for a very long time. And he steps up and he reads from the book of Isaiah, a prophecy that had been spoken about him 800 years earlier. And he says, this this very day is now fulfilled. That's another way of saying, friends, if you don't get it, I'm not just the son of Joseph, I'm the son of God. And they say, hmm, is that not just Joseph's son? They were so blinded by what they knew that they could not see anything else. All they saw was what they had already concluded about him. Friends, if there's a prayer that I pray every day, that is this, that it will never, ever become true of us, of this church, or any other church, but we speak about us now and not everybody else, right? That we allow to make, let happen to us what happened to this church in Nazareth or this synagogue gathering of worshipers in Nazareth, that they didn't truly recognize Jesus when he showed up, and he just remained the one he always had been to them. They pledged allegiance to their own lifestyle and the understanding of life that they had all, always had. And they were not about to let him change that. They knew him so well. They heard that name Jesus since they were kiddos. They always felt good about him. They knew what he was all about. They had heard what he had done other places. But they couldn't get beyond what they always knew about him. Their vision remained as 
small as their own little gathering. You know, Capernaum was 20 miles away. And the rumors had reached Nazareth way before Jesus ever came to the place. And surely they wanted to see him do great things like they heard he'd done in Capernaum. If you read the story of Capernaum, amazing things that revealed his divine power had happened there. And they were surely willing for him to show up where they had known him forever and do a few spectacular things that would make them excited about knowing him. But they were not about to change their basic understanding of who he was and how his relationship with them should be. Oops. You know, we live in a time, friends, where we can see through the media's just about every day, and if you have internet, and most people do these days, right? You can, every minute of every day, see what Jesus is doing all over the world. But the question is never, what is he doing in other places? The question is always, what is he doing in your life? And in my life? And in our church? Right here. It is a lot easier to strive for comfort of our own kingdom than it is to allow a challenge from God's kingdom. It's hard to rethink and even look for and experience and hope for God to do things that would not just be kind of cool but change everything up. The challenge of God's kingdom is not as easy as seeking the comfort of our own kingdom in many ways. I read this text and I look and I'm asking God, I said, Lord, have I hindered Jesus' work in my life and in the midst of the church where I serve because the only thing we can see is what we always seen, what we have known for a hundred years to be so. And I'm pretty convinced if that's our conclusion, friends, then we'll continue to hear about what he will do in other places, and that may excite us, but I doubt it'll satisfy us. What characterized our forefathers, even those in Nacogdoches in 1884, was that they allowed themselves to be inspired what they saw Jesus do in other areas and in other places, and they brought that here and said, God, you can do this here as well. We don't want to be people who are just saying, is that not just the carpenter's son. We want to be people who say, wow, that's God's 
son. We're not just citizens of comfort will. We're citizens of God's kingdom. You know, the, the reaction is almost unbelievable here when Jesus just tells us about how much they appreciate him. He spoke with gracious words. They were so proud of one of their own sons had done great things around. And then Jesus reminds them of the significance of really seeing what God is doing. And he reminds them it's not about them. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about their vision. It's about God's vision. And he says, remember, remember there was a widow in the days of Elijah. Now, there are lots of them in Israel, but the one God helped was the one in Sarepta. There are all kinds of leprous people in Israel, but the one God helped was the Syrian Naaman. And you should think, they said, oh, yeah. What was wrong? Why are we not seeing this? But instead, they got infuriated, and they want to kill him on the spot. They remained citizens of Comfortville and they pledged allegiance to their own understanding instead of going, oh my Lord, what are you doing even here in our midst? How come I haven't seen this? How come I haven't heard that? Lord, how can I be part of your vision. Questions arise and they continue to arise. Is the point of our lives God's vision or our own vision? See, here, they would stop anything and all things. Even if it was Jesus, God's own son in front of them. If they tried to change who they were. Now, it was fun to hear about Capernaum, but they didn't want to become Capernaum. I read about 1884 and Nacogdoches. And a small group of people with the vision. That what kind of understanding of the gospel, what kind of understanding of God, what kind of understanding of life itself carries that kind of commitment? What does it mean to truly be a Christian? That's a matter of citizenship. You have been called to be a part of a community that is God's people. A new community, a new people, if you will. Those of you who travel, let me back up and just say, you know this whole thing about us being individuals? You know, I'm me. Primarily, I'm prepping, right? Yes. Whatever else is secondary or tertiary, first and foremost, I'm prep. You know, we live with that's a Western kind of nomenclature. It's a Western thing. It doesn't work anyplace else. It's just not how it is in reality. And if you don't know it, because you stay home, 
too much. Sorry. If you travel a little bit, right? Now things are changing in Cuba. But you try to show up on the border of Cuba with a blue passport. No amount of your persuasive powers, well, it's changing now, but you know, let's just go back a little bit, right? No amount of your persuasive powers, well, I disagree with the government on this, I'm really not, I'm just me, just look at me, I don't care about what they all do. You are still someone who holds the citizenship of this place, yes? Now, other people with other citizenships could go in all they wanted to. We're never just individuals. And the call is not for us to become individuals. That's something that goes back to Reformation when Luther was trying to kind of separate, you know, just membership in the Catholic church and said, well, there's an invisible church there someplace. And that has over time just evaporated into, well, you know, it's better for me just to have some kind of emotional, private relationship with God. It was never like that. You cannot find a single example in scripture of individual Christianity they are always part of the church they are part of a people they are committed to a people as a new community where other roles like faith and love and hope and forgiveness and graciousness kind of rules this is an important thing we live with citizenship in God's kingdom we're part of God's people and in that community Christ's lordship is what matters. That's the constitution. That's where we pledge our allegiance. To just say that I'm an inactive Christian, it's like a contradiction of terms. It's like talking about a round square, like of soft hardness, cold heat. Well, maybe you can do that one. But you get my point. Notice what happens here. This is an amazing story. Once we start thinking about it and thinking about what is God's vision for all of his creation. Jesus stood in their very midst in that gathering in Nazareth. They could see God's own son with their very eyes. And the only thing they saw was what they had known always. And the only thing that happened when he tried to remove that stuff from their eyes was that they got irritated. And they asked this question that is going to be our question every day, all the time, as we look at God's vision, as he's going to bring all creation into himself, is this not just Joseph's son. Look at it. That's the very question they asked in verse 22. Is this not just Joseph's son? 
And the answer from every Christian everywhere should be no, 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 a million times no. Just like the voice at the baptism said, just as Jesus' genealogy explains or shows, just as the devil himself admitted, he is Christ, the son of the living God. Not just Joseph's son. Let me round up here by looking at this last part and just ask a question of, of citizenship in God's kingdom. Jesus says himself when he is quoting from Isaiah that these things are now here. This is his agenda. This is what he's about, what he came to do. You can read from verse 18 and 19. What would happen when you join and become part of his people? You would see a new spirit. With God's help, may that be also the agenda of the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. To preach good news to the poor. Sent, sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release the oppressed. And proclaim good news. About the Lord's favor. It's amazing stuff. When we truly call him Lord. His agenda becomes our agenda just like that and if you look in church history those who have mattered those who have impacted their surroundings have recognized this very thing that we and they can bring good news to those who are hungry they can and will proclaim freedom to people who are captured they will and they can give, blind, give vision again to those who are blinded and they shall see the Lord. Amazing text. It has happened and it can happen and it will happen. One of these things that we can't get around is that we, and I should say, we all, and maybe even you all in a special way, are standing before some of the greatest challenges that we have had in decades. All Christians community, all Christian communities do that to some extent and to a huge extent actually. But not the least here. It's never about other places. It's about us and about here. Just imagine. You know God's gospel will go out. God's vision has not changed. If we don't want to join it, we don't want to be part of it, we don't want to be sharers of it, he's going to find some who will. And so let me challenge you with this.
Imagine this. Just imagine. This keeps me awake at night sometimes. Imagine that God will entrust his vision to me, to you. Wow. That he called out us. Talking about honor. Wow. That ought to still our souls. And then open our mouths and our hands. It doesn't matter whether we're 15 or 95. God called us. It's a brand new citizenship in a brand new kingdom that is God's. Oh, wow. Father, I so ask that the depth and the power and the challenge of that will dawn on us in a way that it never has before. You are calling us to stand up for Jesus. To be not just a group of people that gather but be an expression of your kingdom that we sense we belong here. We proudly pledge allegiance to your gospel to spread it, to hold it up, to be called by your name, Christians. Amen. We're going to stand, friends, and sing. And you know, when God has so orchestrated it for his word to be preached, it's not because he thought, well, they need just a motivational speech. It's because he said, by the foolishness of preaching, I'm going to change this world. By these people who hear it, who become his people. However God has spoken to you, you need to respond. You know how. Some of you may need to come and kneel right here. Some of you may need to grab a friend or a spouse's hand and say, I, I got to pray. And some of you may want to come pray with us. Some of you may want to say, hey, I don't know that I know what he talked about. I need someone to tell me more about Jesus. Whatever it is God calls you to do, use his time.